Psalm 49, this is God's word. To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? Truly no man can ransom another or give God or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. Selah. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Selah. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well yourself... His soul will go down to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. Lord, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. About 10 to 12 years ago, I heard this uh, preacher back east preaching on Psalm 73. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. A favorite psalm of many throughout the ages. Anyhow, this preacher was talking about the death of a believer. He was emphasizing the importance of having a continual recognition of, a continual acknowledgement of the inevitability of our own imminent death. The need to continually acknowledge the reality of our own mortality physically speaking. And I'll never forget her. He he said, I love thinking about death. I love to think about death because thinking about death has a wonderful way of getting our focus on God when we realize we could meet him at any moment. And that's right. There's now a one of us here this morning that is guaranteed to make it even to the end of this message. Not one of you sitting out there, not one of us standing up here are guaranteed to see tomorrow. This life is fleeting. It is but a moment. It is but a vapor, a breath. 
Our Creator uh, likens our temporal earthly existence to the grass of the field, to the flowers of the meadow which are here today and gone tomorrow. And we, all of us, are mere moments away from standing before Him to give an account for what we have done in this life. And this reality should should then cause us to pause and meditate on what this next life will bring. Those who attempt to forget the certainty of death, Spurgeon said, are mere imitators of the foolish foolish ostrich, which, when pursued by the hunter and unable to escape, hides its head in the sand, fancying that it is secure from the enemy which it cannot see. We don't want to be like the ostrich. And this is exactly what the writer of the 49th Psalm is saying. He's reminding us of the inevitable. Almost as if to tap the reader on the shoulder and say, hey, just want to remind you, you're going to die. And you're going to die soon. So what are you treasuring in your heart? That's the point of Psalm 49. Everyone is going to die. What is the position of your heart? Now, amazingly, his audience is not just limited to the reader of his day, nor is it only to the faithful man and woman of God. Rather, look who he's talking to in verse 1. He says, Hear this, all people. All people, regardless of who you are, give ear to me, all you inhabitants of the world. Unless we'd be confused that the psalm has a universal application here. He, he writes, Both low and high, Rich and poor together, saying, all you who dwell upon the earth, regardless of sex, regardless of age, socioeconomic status, regardless of the time period, whether you're wicked or you're righteous, all you sons and daughters of Adam, this is for you. This psalm has universal application. It's absolutely relevant to everyone who stumbles across it. He says, my mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. So this is a wisdom psalm. From the sons of Korah, a didactic psalm, a teaching psalm, a psalm of instruction. And note the original source is identified in verse 4. He says, I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. When he says, I will incline my ear to a proverb, he's saying, I'm just listening to this wisdom from someone else. I got this revelation from another source, indeed, the source of all true wisdom, of all true understanding. He's hearing from the very author of life himself. And he says, there's a puzzle to be solved, a dark mystery, a profound riddle that he will now go on to explain to us and and to the sound of a harp. No less. I don't have a harp up here this morning, but this was written to the sound of the lyre. This is pretty intriguing to me, honestly. I'm alive. Uh, I'm an inhabitant of this earth. My death could come at literally any moment. I want to know what my Creator says about it, don't you? Do you want to know? Don't you want to know uh, what the one who gave you life then has to say about your death? Don't you want to know what the Creator inspired the psalmist to write next? Well, well, many of you in here this morning would say, yeah, I do want to hear. I'm going to die too at any moment. What's he got to say? 
And that's wise. You should think and think often about your inevitable perishing from this earth. The problem is, the majority of the world out there will say, nah, you know what, I'm all right. I'm not going to worry about all of that. I, this is no big deal to me. Or even worse, they might say, what, you mean like God? You mean like the Bible? You want me to listen to the Bible? I don't think so. This is nothing new. People have always reveled in the bliss of ignorance, even when confronted with the reality of their own mortality. Throughout the ages, people have sought to ease the anxiety surrounding their imminent death by finding faux contentment, either in vain figures of their imagination, uh, open and willful denial and rejection of a creator God, or, or even by taking refuge in the false securities provided them by the luxuries and comforts of this fleeting world system. No. It's the third type of person whom we are introduced to in the next section of the psalm. He says in verses 5 and 6, Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? I like the King James here. It says in verse 5, Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil? when the iniquity of my heels shall compass about me. He's saying uh, trouble always seems close behind. And this trouble, it typically comes by the wicked of this world, who honestly seem to prosper. The, the wicked of the world seem to be getting all the breaks. They seem to be the ones who have been shown divine favor, and yet their response is not to then turn and give thanks to the Lord, but rather to gloat over and further oppress those who have not. Again, this is reminiscent of Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph, where he says, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their heart overflows with follies. They scoff and they speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They threaten oppression. This is exactly what the writer of Psalm 49 is saying. The wicked of the earth seem to be prospering while the godly and the upright are seemingly being oppressed on every side. And, and to make matters worse, they threaten opposition based on worldly stature alone. And this is true, isn't it? Even today, it seems like the wicked prosper. It seems like the wicked have the luxuries, they have the benefits, they have the securities. You've probably heard it said, the only people who say money can't buy happiness are the ones who don't have any. But you know what? That's not reality, is it? That's not the truth. Money and wealth and possessions, they, they may make things a little bit easier here on, on this earth to a certain extent, but, but deep down, deep down, when all is said and done, when all the dust settles, when all the smoke clears, when that old foe death comes to claim victory and unleash his sting, all the possessions in the world won't account for anything, will they? 
All the money, all the security this world can offer won't help them in that hour. So the psalmist is saying here, why am I sweating their temporary exalted status over my life? Why am I allowing them to boast over me and and take advantage of me for their own gain? Why am I so agitated about this? It's all temporary for them. It's a facade. It's a veneer. It's a temporary front that shouldn't trouble us. That's what he's saying. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth boast in the abundance of their riches. Why should I fear? The Lord said the same thing through the prophet Isaiah. The Lord said, I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you you that you are afraid of man who dies? Of the son of man who is like grass, is made like grass, and have forgotten the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. And you fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor when he sets himself to destroy. The, The Lord is saying, don't sweat the wicked wealthy of this world. Their end is near. A day is coming when they won't be able to hide behind their creature comforts of this world. Just place your trust in me. The the true possessor of power. He says, I got this. Why are you worrying about this? Look at verse 7. He says, Truly, no man can ransom another or give God the price of his life. You know what that's saying, don't you? It doesn't matter how much money, how much power, how much possession or fame or clout or anything else in this entire world that a person can obtain. They simply cannot buy their way out of death. They can't buy their way out of death. Nor can their temporal riches deliver anyone else from death. That's what this means. A man can't ransom another man. Man is impotent to save. Man, regardless of how wealthy and powerful, is really nothing in the end. In all actuality, he has no power. Why? Because man can't redeem themselves from their imminent and inevitable deaths, as we will see. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. Verse 8, For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. An eternal soul is priceless. It's of infinite value. So the psalmist is saying here, stop imagining that you or anyone else in the world has the power to rescue a soul. Your life doesn't belong to you. Your life does not belong to you. It belongs to and is only therefore able to be redeemed by the one who created it, who spoke it into existence. You can't buy your way out of death. It's out of control. Do you know that? Do you know you can't buy your way out of death? You know you have absolutely no control over your death? Nobody can. I mean, think of all the diseases that folks get that really expose the inadequacy of humanity's ability to to deliver one another. Every extraordinarily 
extravagantly wealthy person who has ever lived before the year 1980 has died. They're gone. How do we know this? Well, the oldest living person today is 118 years old. Her birthday was 1903. Her name is Kane Tanake of, of Japan. Now, just think of the vast amount of wealth and power that has changed hands in that time. Presidents, dictators, rulers, dignitaries, royalty, celebrities, athletes, philosophers, physicists, and yet none of them could buy their way out of death. None of them. Nobody can. James Boyce tells of the French atheist and scourge of Christianity, Voltaire, who was a very, very rich man. He was the most famous person of the European Enlightenment in the sophisticated 18th century. And his writings, particularly his satirical attack on Christianity, they were read everywhere, all over the globe. Yet, Boyce says, when Voltaire came to die... It's reported that he cried to his doctor in pained desperation, I will give you half of all I possess if you will give me six months more to live. But of course, this was beyond the doctor's ability to do. He couldn't do it. And all of Voltaire's great wealth could not slow death's advance. Voltaire, he died in despair as do multitudes who realize their wealth accounts for nothing in the end. Nothing. And yet, the psalmist here in verse 10 tells us, no matter how many times over they see this happen to those before them, fallen humanity fails to acknowledge that they will meet with the same fate. For he sees that even the wise die. The fool and the stupid alike must perish, leave their wealth to others. In other words, they see the wealthy pass away before them, just like the, the poor and the dumb, and, and yet they still don't grasp the reality of their own mortality. Many just don't even acknowledge death. They're just aloof. They're in denial. They have this illusion of immortality because they were favored in this lifetime. It's really not only the height of ignorance, but it's the height of arrogance. Don't be like that. But the reality check comes for these guys in, in the next few verses. Verse 11 says, Their graves are their homes forever. Their dwelling places to all generations, though they had called lands by their own names. He's saying they live lives of self-indulgence, Self-glorification, self-exaltation, they're naming buildings after themselves and land after themselves, even entire cities after themselves, trying to achieve immortality through memory and legacy, and yet it's nowhere to be found. They're gone. It's really a pathetic existence when you think about it. It's very sad. He concludes this section by saying in verse 12, man in his pomp will not remain. He's like the beasts that perish. Literally, the Hebrew text reads, man in his pomp cannot lodge the night. Meaning he could literally go at any moment. He could go tonight. From a physical standpoint, he's no different than a wild animal. That's pretty shocking language, isn't it? 
You have everything this world can afford, but when it's all said and done, you'll die like the poor, the fool, the stupid, and the wild beasts of the field. That's what it's saying. I'm not saying it. This is just what he's... I'm just reading what it's saying. The story is told of a time when the famed philosopher uh, uh, Diogenes looked intently at a large collection of human bones piled atop one another. And Alexander the Great stood nearby and became curious about what Diogenes was doing. When he asked the old man, the reply was, I'm searching for the bones of your father, but I cannot seem to distinguish them from those of the slaves. Alexander knew what he was saying. All men are equal in death. Watch now as the psalmist shifts his focus from the temporal to the eternal. This is the main section of this introduction here. He says in verse 13, This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. Again, it's a cycle over and over and over. It just keeps happening. (laughs) They boast in temporal gain with no regard for their imminent demise. This is their path, he says. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd. The upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. In other words, all men perish the same way. From dust we were formed to the dust we will return, as the writer of Ecclesiastes said. The dust returns to the earth as it was. But the Spirit, the Spirit returns to God who gave it. And the Spirit of those who trust in their riches to deliver them, those who do not acknowledge the one true God or give thanks to Him as God, death personified here, death, eternal death, shall be the shepherd of their soul. Death. In the second year of his earthly ministry, Jesus was warning his disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the traps of the false religious system known as Judaism. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Now, real quickly here. Is it wrong to have possessions? No. Is it wrong to have wealth? Absolutely not. The Scriptures never explicitly condemn wealth, only the love of wealth. Only the dependence on wealth, the trust in wealth, and the scrupulous actions of those who will sacrifice everything, including their moral integrity and even their closest relationships, to obtain or retain wealth. That's what the Bible condemns, but it doesn't condemn prosperity by any means. Think of Abraham, think of Job, think of King Solomon. These guys had great wealth. Joseph of Arimathea. Even the rich man in this parable, who who apparently had a plentiful harvest, a good crop, which was from who? 
Well, it's from the Lord. The Lord blessed this man. There's nothing wrong with this up until now. Uh, The Lord had favored this already rich man. The problem came, and the problem comes, with the hearted attitude which follows. Jesus says, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store all of my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. You fool. This night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You fool. You fool. This night your soul is required of you. The soul which will instantly be returned to God who gave it. Jesus will go on to say, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his what? His soul. Doesn't profit us anything. Lose our soul. Same thing. This, this man had a foolish confidence according to the Lord, which is exactly what the psalmist says here in verse 13. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boast like a shepherd, excuse me, like sheep. They are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd. The upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol. There's no place to dwell. <clears throat> the wicked wealthy will die just like everyone else from a temporal sense, just like the wild animals. And from an eternal sense, they will, they will go down to Sheol, Gehenna, Hades, hell, the realm of the dead where they will no longer graze upon the pleasures of this earth, but rather will find themselves apart from the love of God, apart from the the common graces of the Good Shepherd of Psalm 23. Indeed, now their shepherd will be death. Death personified. Eternal death. But watch this in verse 15. Watch this. On the flip side, the psalmist makes reference to himself. And and for only the second time in this whole song, he makes uh, mention of God. And he gives us one of the greatest busts in the whole Bible, by the way. But God will ransom my soul. The wicked, the wealthy wicked who cheat the upright, who manipulate the needy and prey upon them like snakes, the one whom the psalmist said earlier not to fear, those who cannot ransom each other, their eternal souls, their everlasting beings will find no rest. They will have no place to dwell. But, verse 15, but God... But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for He will receive me. Selah. Pause and meditate. That's what that means. 
This is the key verse in this psalm, my brothers and sisters. You see, without this verse, this would just be a repeated admonition of the fool who trusts in the riches of this world. Without verse 15, it would simply be an exhortation for the upright to not fear such people when they find themselves being taken advantage of or being oppressed by those at the top. Without this verse, there would almost be the sense of hopelessness concerning the inadequacy and the inability of our fellow man to deliver us out of the most perilous situations in life, including our death. Oh, but with verse 15, with this verse, we are given hope. Hope in the one who does have the power to ransom the soul. Who does have the power to to purchase and redeem an everlasting soul who does have both the authority and the ability to deliver us from the pit. And not only the pit, not only the temporary dwelling place and the abode of the dead, but indeed, as the Scriptures tell us, He has the power to grant us life. Life. Eternal life in His presence. This is why Peter said, Lord, where else would we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Answer, nowhere else. Nobody else has the words of life. We will be in his presence through the power of the resurrection where he will receive us. This is such a beautiful language here. He will ransom my soul. He will receive me. My brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you this morning. Your life is but a vapor. It's a breath. It has been called a mist. A breath of condensation. You walk outside on a cold winter night, you breathe. There it goes. That's what the Bible says your life is like. Your life is truly fleeting away. It's passing away along with this world. And you would be a fool to think anything can slow it down. It's inevitable. You will die. And you will die soon. Sean's thinking, why did I invite this guy? But I want to ask you this morning, seriously, what are you trusting in? In terms of the life to come, are, are, you, are you trusting in your silos full of grain? Your portfolio, your 401k, your stocks and bonds, your land royalties, coming inheritance? Who are you placing your trust in this morning? Your spouse? Your family? The government? Your political representatives? I hope not. Is this your contentment in this life uh, tied up in who's in power in the moment? Are Are you trusting in your position in the community, your social media following, your career, your influence, your clout? Are you so wrapped up with the status and stature in this world and in this life that you're neglecting to give any consideration to the life to come? What is the position of your heart? What if the Lord told you today and this very day, your soul is required of you. That your spirit, you knew that your spirit would return to its creator today. What then would he do with it? 
Where would it go? Do you even know? My friends, there are only two types of people in this room this morning. Only two. Do not get it twisted. Not rich or poor, not successful or unsuccessful, not straight or gay, not sick or healthy, not black or white, not fat or skinny, male or female. Nothing that this world looks on and has deemed to be of most important. There are only two kinds of people in this room. Believers and unbelievers. Eternally redeemed or eternally damned. Under the grace and mercy of their Creator, forgiven and justified in His sight? Or under the divine condemnation and wrath of their Creator? Mere heartbeats away from facing His judgment in hell forever. Which one are you? Only two kinds of people here. Look at the distinction here. Look at the comparison. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence, yet after them people approve of their boasts. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for He will receive me. Pause and meditate. Which one of these realities is true of you this morning? You know, throughout the pages of Scripture, well before this psalm, which is estimated to have been penned anywhere from 800 to 500 B.C., but well before that, your Creator put into plan, uh, put into works, a uh, uh, place, a perfect plan of redemption, a perfect plan where He would reconcile His creation, man, sinful man, rebellious man to Himself. A perfect plan of redemption where he would indeed receive these men and women unto himself, not just in a temporal, earthly sense, but forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. And, and this, this was accomplished by the sending of his very own son into this world some 2,000 years ago. Uh, this, son, this son whom the psalmist and other Old Testament saints look forward to with confidence. This was the one promised by Yahweh himself. This, this son who we can look back upon even today as the one who was born into this world, not as a son of Adam, but rather who was conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit himself. As the one who was born of a virgin, who lived a perfect, sinless, spotless life, yet who was delivered over to the hands of lawless men who condemned him and and sentenced him to death by crucifixion. To hang him on a Roman cross, the same cross where he would take the, take the place of him, bear the penalty of sin for all who would believe in him and call upon his name. For all who would believe in him and, and beg for reconciliation to the Father. And on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. The Son of God who cried out, It is finished. Breathed His last. Who would later be placed in an empty tomb only to be raised three days later appearing to many witnesses before ascending back up into heaven where He is now, even now, seated at the right hand of the Father 
sovereignly ruling and reigning in the hearts of those who belong to him, all of those who have been redeemed, all of those whom the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served, but to serve by giving his life as a ransom for many. And there is salvation in no one else. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No man can ransom your soul. Nobody can. We can't ransom each other or, or give to God the price of our lives. It took God himself to come down, to walk the very earth that he spoke into existence, to give his life. To give his life to purchase many out of the slave market of this fleeting world that is in bondage to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. So that we can now say, where is death's sting? Where, O grave, is thy victory? I want to ask, can you say this is true of you this morning, my friend? Has your Creator ransomed your soul from the power of Sheol, from the power of death? Have you turned from your sin? Have you repented of your sin and trusted in the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone? I pray that's true of you this morning. I really do. And I pray that you have turned from this world and that you have turned to your Creator by grace alone. This world is passing away. All the glory of this world will one day burn. Yet there are so many in this country, in this culture, who are clinging to these temporal things as their only hope. May that not be true of you this morning. And trust in the everlasting promises of your Creator. Cry out for His mercy while you still can. Close here. The psalmist goes on to close his exhortation, this counsel, this instruction on Verse 16, by saying again, Be not afraid when man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. Again, just giving that eternal perspective, don't be discouraged, don't, don't be dismayed, don't be overwhelmed. Certainly don't be envious when you see these folks, these seemingly wicked men and women prosper, while you, the upright, Go through all kinds of hardship. Don't be afraid, he says. Remember, they don't take any of it with him. He says, For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never see light again. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, he's like the beast that perishes. What an amazing psalm this is. Amen? I love how it cuts right to the heart. It should be a wake-up call for all those who have chosen to live in willful ignorance of the reality of their own mortality. And yet, even this text 3,000 years ago shows us this was already the pattern generation of generation after generation of people doing the same thing. The, The takeaway this morning is clear. Do not love the things of this world. Do not 
depend on the things of this world. Do not hold the things of this world, this temporary fleeting world, as being of greater significance in your life than the one who has given you life, who is sustaining your life at this very moment, has the power and the authority to determine where you will spend all of eternity in the life to come. But do find your security in the Lord. Do surrender your very life to His will. Do trust in Christ alone for reconciliation to the Father. And do live your life in a way that's honoring and pleasing to Him and Him alone, for He alone is worthy. Amen? I'm going to close. i got one minute left here. I'm going to close with the ending words of the 73rd Psalm, which again has so many parallels to this one. I'd encourage you to meditate on these words as you leave here this morning as you take the Lord's Supper. The psalmist praying to his Lord says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? It says, There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Is the Lord your portion this morning? Is the Lord your God the strength of your heart? Is He your refuge in this life? Life Has your Creator ransomed your everlasting soul? And are you longing for that day when He will receive you into glory? We'll, we will p- praise His name together for all of eternity. Is that true of you? I pray that's the case.